0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, now part of Netrix where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. As usual on last week's episode, I covered the highlights from the June Patch Tuesday roundup. So right after Patch Tuesday occurs, I cover the big patches and vulnerabilities that I think you might want to know about. And I warned you when I was going through them that usually one week after that episode comes the episode where I cover news of problems caused by the patches. And sure enough, right on time, the problems have been reported. First up, if you use the Wi-Fi hotspot feature in Windows, a June update may break internet connectivity on the hotspot host device. So that device that you're creating the hotspot on for others to connect to, the internet on that may become unusable. And from the list of Windows versions affected, it looks like pretty much every version of Windows. Uh, that has the hotspot feature is affected. And even server OS's are listed which I'm surprised they even have the feature. Maybe they were just taking a shotgun approach and listing all OS's regardless of whether or not they're affected. Um, If this does happen to you and you're unable to use the internet when enabling the hotspot, if you just disable the hotspot you should get connectivity on the host device again. This issue is currently being investigated by Microsoft. BleepyComputer.com also reports many people are experiencing the loss of remote desktop and VPN connectivity to servers with routing and remote access service or RRAS enabled when the June Windows Server updates have been installed. It appears that rolling back the updates fixed the services. Microsoft told Bleepy Computer that admins can temporarily disable the NAT feature on RRAS servers to fix these problems until a fix is formally released. Furthermore, this month's Windows updates may also cause backup issues on Windows Server systems, with some applications failing to backup data using the Volume Shadow Copy service. Microsoft has also released out of band Windows updates to address a known issue that would cause Azure Active Directory and Microsoft 365 sign in issues on ARM or ARM devices after installing the June Patch Tuesday updates. Microsoft shared a workaround when first acknowledging this known issue last Friday, uh, which those who cannot immediately install the emergency out of band patch can try to deploy to affected products, but really just deploy the patch if you're affected. According to Microsoft, customers who want to use impacted applications should switch to the product's web version, which is not much of a workaround really because uh, the web versions are still some way behind the actual like full client versions in my opinion. And there have also been reports that once again, after installing these June updates, SMB version one, has been disabled so i think this is like the third or fourth time updates have done that so if you're relying on smb1 for some legacy applications heads up it looks like it might get disabled again with these updates once again major sites like amazon telegram twitch canva shopify coinbase doordash nordvpn and feedly to name just a few suffered an outage That was related to cloudflare and obviously if you listen to the podcast each week you know this is not the first time that a cloudflare issue has caused serious disruption to some major websites and in this case the issue occurred for about one and a half hours cloudflare explained in their root cause analysis that they have been actively working on improving their infrastructure and have a pod made up of different locations that have this new equipment that they're installing Well, they rolled out a change this week and it first went to locations that did not have the newer gear. Then once it hit the pods with the new gear, the issues started to occur. They had to revert the change that they had made and then services were restored. In their statement, Cloudflare apologized and talked about how they're going to learn from this and basically improve their change process. It kind of seems like maybe in future if they've got different gear or different hardware that they've just brought in that maybe they need to make sure the change goes to at least some of those host locations initially too so they can more quickly identify the issues and roll back. BleepyComputer.com reported this week that Cisco have advised owners of -of end-of-life small business RV routers to upgrade to newer models after disclosing a remote code execution vulnerability that they will not be patching. The vulnerability is tracked as CVE-2022-20825 and has a severity rating of 9.8 out of 10. According to Cisco Security Advisory, the flaw exists due to insufficient user input validation of incoming HTTP packets on the impacted devices. An attacker could exploit it by sending a specially crafted request to the web-based management interface resulting in command execution with root-level privileges. The vulnerability only affects devices with the web-based remote management interface enabled on WAN connections. So if upgrading is not an option immediately, it sounds like maybe you need to disable that feature. So if you've got these small business RV routers from Cisco, check out the CVE, which again is dash 2022 20825 to see if you're affected. And at the minimum, make sure that that feature is disabled, but really you need to start looking at upgrading that gear. Microsoft have launched a new Defender cybersecurity app across Windows, macOS, iOS and Android. I actually reported on this before its official launch I think a few months ago. The Verge now reports that this new cross-platform Microsoft Defender app is designed for individuals as more of a simplified dashboard that taps into existing antivirus software or offers additional device protections. Microsoft Defender will be available for Microsoft 365 personal and family subscribers this week and the features will vary by platform. On iOS and iPad OS, for example, there's no antivirus protection and the app offers some web phishing protections instead alongside a dashboard that includes alerts for other devices. Whereas on Android, Defender includes antivirus protection and the ability to scan for malicious applications. The app will also scan links to offer web-phishing protection. Microsoft Defender on Windows acts more like a dashboard rather than attempting to replace the built-in Windows Defender security app. Uh, you could view your existing antivirus protection from, say, Norton, McAfee, or other vendors on Windows 2, and manage and view security protections across all your devices. BleepyComputer.com reports this week that Chinese hackers have used a now patched zero day exploit for a critical severity vulnerability in Sophos firewall to compromise a company and breach cloud hosted web servers operated by the victim. The CVE for the vulnerability was published back in March and it's CVE-2022-1040. And this is for an authentication bypass vulnerability that affects the user portal and web admin of Sophos firewall and could be exploited to execute arbitrary code remotely And, unfortunately, (laughs) exploited it was. Actually, it was exploited within three days of of the advisory being published. Researchers Vilexity have published their findings of the attack in great detail. I'll spare explaining it on this episode, but you can read the full details for yourself. Since this one has patches available, I just suggest that you patch it. (laughs) Don't wait uh, to read it and say, oh, well, this isn't so bad. Uh, uh, Patch it. And if you want to learn from it, then definitely read the analysis by Vilexity. And I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 235. And you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. Or you can usually find a link to it in the description field on your podcast platform of choice. The latest and greatest Windows 11 Insider Preview build that is now available includes some details in the release notes on the now-native LAPS feature within Windows Operating Systems. And this feature is fully functional for Active Directory domain joined clients, but Azure Active Directory support is limited for now to a small set of insiders. They said that they'll make an announcement once Azure Active Directory support is more broadly available. But the good news is, it is available to a small set of insiders, so it sounds like Azure Active Directory support when using LAPS is going to be something that's going to be available in the future. So that's great news. And if you're not familiar with LAPS, that's a Microsoft product for a local administrator password solution. So for shuffling and managing the passwords, the local administrator passwords on your Windows devices, uh, that's what you'd use. It's a really, really great solution to use for adding some security for those local admin passwords that a lot of organizations just kind of ignore, even though it's such a wide open goal for attackers to use. Uh, my buddy Martin Dews shared the recent release of Citrix app layering 2206. And I saw in the release notes as pointed out by him that Microsoft Silverlight has been removed. So app no longer requires or supports Microsoft Silverlight. That is awesome. I think I tweeted about it and like I just to acknowledge it's very, very difficult work to completely change your UI. The requirement for Silverlight for the console was such a pain in the butt and it's great that you no longer need it. Congrats to the development teams on moving away from Silverlight. That's awesome. And sticking with Citrix, I saw that they published a blog post this week claiming that they have made the setup of PVS more streamlined than ever before with the default configuration being suitable for most environments and with the settings optimized for most customers too. They state, of course, if there is a specific need to change things like default port numbers, customers can do so. And still sticking with Citrix, although this was a Microsoft announcement, Microsoft posted to enhance app layering resiliency to events of storage service maintenance Azure NetApp Files has extended support for SMB transport Transparent Failover via SMB Continuous Availability shares on Azure NetApp Files for Citrix app layering virtual disks. Using this capability will eliminate application downtime as a result of storage service maintenance events and improve overall reliability and user experience. And for those using Azure Virtual Desktop, the public preview of the Azure Virtual Desktop metadata service in Australia is now live. So the metadata has already become available in certain regions, and now the public preview is available in Australia. Last story for this week, but I already covered the Lapsus Octa breach at length in previous episodes. But I saw this week that the register featured some comments from brett winterford who is okta's asia pacific and japan chief security officer and he recalled in great detail of what the attacker tried to do but essentially said that the attacker limited their actions to non-intrusive actions at first to not bring attention to themselves and essentially they were just using apps and services and features that were available to the user are on that device that they got access to and then when the attacker eventually tried to leverage the position they were in to compromise Okta they were immediately discovered. He also said in a bit of a last-ditch scramble the attackers found a workaround and they tried for 25 minutes to abuse their position but they were not particularly successful. Winterford asserted that the event shows that zero trust security and Okta's implementation of it worked. So if you're skeptical of zero trust or maybe you're a believer in zero trust, perhaps this example is one worth referencing when you're in your uh, work meetings and you're talking about design and talking about zero trust. Well, this could possibly be a good example to refer to. And now, a weekly webinar. Alchemy will be hosting a webinar on June 29th, which I believe is Wednesday, at 11 a.m. Central Time. That's Central United States. The topic is what's new in DAS, or desktop as a service. The event will feature speakers from Alchemy, Citrix, iGel, ControlUp, and Numescent, and also will have a Q&A so just going off the list of vendors and also alchemy uh you're going to hear about kind of best in class features for the best possible experience in desktop as a service you know the greatest monitoring with control up uh greatest application packaging and delivery with numescent uh, Igel for those thin clients and Igel os which is in my opinion, the best OS for thin client devices. So, if you want to learn about all these different solutions, maybe you're looking for a monitoring solution or maybe an application delivery solution or something else for your DAS, register and join and you'll learn about it. And now, this episode scripts, tricks, and tips. This week I saw a tip shared by Eric from ZenAppLog.com that he got from Adam Gross actually. And you can find Adam on Twitter, at Adam Gross TX. But the tip was, if using Patch My PC updates, make sure to enable only the most required apps in the enrollment status page for Autopilot. If not, it's going to spin through each and every one of those up to 250 applications. So obviously that's going to add significant time. And if you haven't checked out Patch My PC yet, I strongly advise you to do. It's a really awesome service. And in the course of my usual Twitter roaming, I saw that Guy Leach had responded to someone who was having some problems, and he provided his PowerShell script that he wrote to trim and empty process working sets. He said one use case is when Hyper-V says there isn't enough memory to start a VM, whereupon after running the script, there often is enough memory. And I believe I've used this one in control up as a script based action. It's really awesome. So check that out. Shane Hanselman posted a video about how to customize Windows Terminal with hotkeys and functionality that you want. He says, it's easy. You just need to know where to start. So if you want to learn how to up your game in Windows Terminal, check out that video. Rudy Ooms shared a blog post on some issues that people have encountered with the Intune company portal and he talks about troubleshooting and how to fix the issues that he listed like for example when the wipe feature doesn't work. And speaking of Intune or Microsoft Endpoint Manager, Tom Wessler shared a blog post on how to create a backup of your Microsoft Endpoint Manager infrastructure. And finally, Guy Leach shared a handy Azure one-liner or PowerShell Azure one-liner for finding and installing the Azure PowerShell modules. And obviously, I'm not gonna read that out on the podcast, so I'll share that. Uh, You can see it for yourself on the YouTube edition of this podcast, which you'll find at fivebytespodcast.com under YouTube for episode 235, or you'll find a link to it within the reference links. As always, thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you next week.